Hey, Cornerstone family, it's March the 30th, Tuesday, and I'm just so glad that you have been with us on this journey these last several weeks. I know I've mentioned this several times, but it just excites me when I hear people talking about reading through the whole Bible in 42 days, reading through uh, the New Testament, reading through the Gospels. What a what an incredible effort you've put in, and I'm so grateful that you have gone along with this journey. We've had hundreds of people engage with us on this podcast, and many people watching and listening with the worship, and I'm just super excited. This next Sunday is Easter Sunday. This would be a good time on Tuesday to be thinking about who you're going to invite. Pick up the phone, invite them. If you have friends or family that are concerned about social distancing, let me encourage you. Come to that first service, that 9 o'clock service. I promise you there'll be a space where you can be completely uh, away from people and probably have more space than you'd ever have at Target or Kroger or Walmart. So uh, we've just got a great service plan, some incredible worship. I really just feel like these last six or seven weeks as we've talked about worship and then these last few weeks uh, that, that our worship is just getting more beautiful, more intense. And uh, this past Sunday, I think, was one of the more powerful worship services that we've had in 24 years. I really believe that. And so I just can't wait to see what God does on this Easter Sunday. And I need you regular Cornerstone people uh, to be there because often on Easter Sunday, we have guests, we have new people, and and they don't know how to enter in and worship. And so sometimes the crowd can, uh, can kind of dampen the room a little bit on big Sundays like that because they're not used to worship. They're there uh, maybe because somebody invited them or for family obligations. And so I need my regular Cornerstone people to be there and leading the charge and lifting your hands and pouring out your hearts in worship to the Lord. And so today I want to read you a passage of scripture that really just leads up to, in the Gospel of Matthew, the passion story, which begins really in in earnest in in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, But today's reading includes Matthew chapter 20, and I want to read the last several verses of Matthew chapter 20 um, as, as we talk about this passage as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and he is he is getting ready for what we're getting ready for this passion week the the night that he has the last supper with his disciples the the betrayal the 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 trial and then ultimately the crucifixion and resurrection and so I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 20 beginning in verse 29 and read from there to verse 34 the end of the chapter it says as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho a large crowd followed behind Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and he called, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly they could see. Then they followed him couple of things stand out to me from this passage. There's a, a similar story told in a couple of the other gospels. And this story includes two blind men. And this was not an uncommon occurrence on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Those of you that were with us in Israel a couple of years ago, you know that we drove from the Jordan River Valley, Jericho, up through the mountains into Jerusalem, and and it's a it's an uphill climb the whole way. Of course, they wouldn't have been in a nice Mercedes tour bus; they would have been on foot. And so, it was a regular travel route for people that were going up to Jerusalem to make sacrifices for the 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 various 
festivals and the various feasts and the various uh, religious observances at the temple. And so this was a regular route, and it was not uncommon because it was a regular route for people going up to the temple for people to beg because this was a common thing in Judaism. There's there's all kinds of laws and rules about taking care of the poor and giving alms to the poor and things like that. And so this was a rather advantageous spot for a person to beg. Uh, but we see this story as Jesus is, and the disciples are heading up from Jericho to Jerusalem, um, and we notice that there's a crowd with them. It says a large crowd followed, and so it wasn't just Jesus and his disciples. We can't imagine the you know the hundreds of people that must have uh, that must have followed Jesus up to Jerusalem that day. The only thing in my mind that sort of puts me in the in the thought of this is a few years ago uh, when Tiger Woods was at his peak. I got to go to a, a golf tournament, and I was walking around as a spectator looking at the golf tournament and, and watching various players. And from across the golf course, you could see where Tiger was because he had the largest crowd following him. So as he went from hole to hole, the crowd went with him. And he had by far 10 times or more fans than anybody else on the golf course. And that's the picture I have of Jesus. There were people always traveling this route. There were people always on this road. But the crowd following Jesus and his disciples must have been an exceptional one. And the reality is everybody in that crowd probably wanted something from Jesus. They had someone they wanted Jesus to pray for. They had some miracle they were expecting or hoping for from Jesus. And then there's these two kind of pesky beggars along the side of the road, and they're calling out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the the crowd just kind of tells them to be quiet, but they yell even louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus asks this remarkable question. He stops in, in verse 32, and he looks at them and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this might seem like a ridiculous question, but remember that these beggars, these blind beggars had been there probably for most of their lives. This was a a rather advantageous route. This was a a place where people often felt generous as they walked up to the temple. This was a place where people often had extra alms that they were giving to the poor on their way to Jerusalem to garner favor with God or whatever. And, And so it's a it seems like an odd question to us. What do you want me to do for you? But the reality is the answer might have initially been, we want money. We want money. This is what a beggar did. They said, have mercy on us. And so people would go and they would throw coins. And often there would be a, a, a garment stretched out in front of the beggar because they couldn't tell or see where the coins were. And at the end of the day, they would pull the corners of the garment together and they would take all of their haul with them for the day. And so it's not a question that that only has one answer. We look at it and we think, oh, what do you want me to do for you? Of course they want to see, but I wonder if we are in that same position as the the blind beggars sometimes, and we're settling for something less than what God has for us. When we could have healing, when we could have sight, we are perhaps settling for something far less. We're settling for a few coins when he wants to change our lives. And so it's a really powerful question. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And immediately they answer, Lord, we want to see. We're not satisfied with our lives. We're not satisfied by this road. We're not satisfied with begging. We want to see. We want to, we want to be functioning. We want to be a part of society. We want to serve you. We want to follow you. And so we want to see. That's what we want. We don't want coins. We don't want people's excess that they throw off because the law tells them they're supposed to. We want to see. And then it says Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes and instantly they could see. And then there's these four words at the end of Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. It says, then they followed him. Then they followed him. 
And it's fascinating. The implication is they got up from their seats on the side of the road. And instead of going home to their family, instead of instead of going to to try to get a job, instead of instead of trying to go and 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 somehow enter back into society in a way that they couldn't as they were blind beggars, they follow Jesus. The implication is they walked up the hill with him to Jerusalem. And so they left behind the life that maybe they thought they were going to gain back, the life that they thought maybe was going to be rewarded to them when they could see because they were so overwhelmed, so overcome by Jesus's healing touch that they followed him. And, and, and don't forget what happens in the coming days as they follow Jesus. I wonder if these two blind beggars were in the crowd when they waved palm branches and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I wonder if these two blind beggars were in the crowd the night at the Garden of Gethsemane when when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. I wonder if they were in the crowd when Pilate gives the the the, the people the choice: Do you want Barabbas or do you want or do you want Jesus? And they say, "Give us Barabbas." And Pilate says, "What do you want me to do with this Jesus?" And the crowd yells, "Crucify him!" I wonder were they a part of that crowd? Can you imagine that scene unfolding and being the very first thing that your eyes? have seen, maybe in your entire life, but certainly for several years. Can you imagine this drama unfolding and that being the first thing that you see? They followed Jesus. And I'd like to believe, I don't know this, but I'd like to believe they followed him all the way to the cross because what he did for them was powerful. He gave them back their lives. When they could have asked for coins, they could have asked for a little bit of help. They could have asked for a a little bit of reassurance. Instead, they said, Lord, we want to see. And Jesus instantly heals them. And can you imagine some of the first things that they see are the events that unfold in Jerusalem in the days ahead, the events that we're going to talk about between now and this Sunday. So I, I just think that's a powerful image, a powerful story to see that these guys, they they leave their families, they leave their homes, and they follow Jesus. And what in the world did they see over these next few days as they followed him? Let me just pray for you as you follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you, ask for something big from him. If the biggest thing you're asking Jesus for is to bless your meal, um, then you're not you're not doing it right because Jesus offers. He's looking at you and saying, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Don't settle for a penny or a dime or a quarter or two in, in begging. Ask Jesus to, to really, really do something great in your life. What do you want from me? And what's your response to Jesus as he asks that question today? And then when he answers, will you follow him? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these beautiful narratives that unfold before our eyes. Thank you for the story of this week, the story that we celebrate, the fact that you gave. We remember, we will not forget what you did for us. So I pray for every member of my church family. I pray today, God, that you would bless them. You would surround them with your presence and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you back here tomorrow.